where I was right and where I was wrong about the 2023 Texas Longhorns. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, once again, where I was right and where I was wrong about this Texas football team. We also have some submissions from your favorite Texas YouTuber, Steven from Fanatic Perspective, Texas Homer, Nash from Nash Talks Texas, Nino from Nino's Corner Sports. And whether you know him as Kieran or Kier Bear Kieran, they all contributed. And then the second segment, I will discuss where they were right and where they were wrong and my reaction to some of their preseason takes. And in the last segment, what would a championship mean for each of the four teams that are in the college football playoffs? All of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I know there's a million different places to get your takes now, um, your sports content, your sports takes, whatever. Uh, but I'm still somewhat old school. I don't watch a ton of YouTube. I still sit down and watch, uh, you know, daily television, Undisputed, uh, The Herd, you know, first take sometimes, you know, first things first. Those are the type of shows I watch, right, with all of the talking heads on TV that we hate. You know what I mean? And um one of my favorite shows is The Herd with Colin Cowherd. I know some of my subscribers and listeners probably listen to The Herd and watch it um, and like Colin Cowherd. And I know some of my subscribers and listeners probably the majority hate Colin Cowherd, right? And his takes. And I understand both sides of it, right? Um, but one of my favorite segments that he does, and I think one of my favorite segments in sports, period, is every Monday during football season, he does where I was right and where I was wrong. And he doesn't have to do that. But I think that so many people like me, broadcasters, can come up here and say anything they want, really, without repercussion, right? And if we're wrong, we just move on and just do the next day's show, right? And we never go back and acknowledge, hey, I was pretty wrong about that, right? Um, but when we're right, you'll never stop hearing about it, right? And so I think Colin does a good job of saying, yeah, I was right about this. I'm going to pat myself on the back. But here's where I was super wrong, right? And I think that that's good, right? Because when you have people that are listening to you every day or counting on your content, it's important you know, for somebody of his stature to come back and say, hey, I was wrong about this. Right. You know, what I mean, I think that that's super cool of him. And so that's something that I want to start doing on the show. Right. Taking my preseason takes and then at the end of the season saying where I was right and where I was wrong. So that's today's show. And this will be something that hopefully becomes an annual tradition on Locked on Longhorn. So where I was wrong, the first thing is I had Texas going 10 and 2, losing to Alabama and Kansas State based on the way that we looked in the Rice game. I wasn't sure that we could go on the road. In that type of environment in Tuscaloosa, 100,000 people, Nick Saban, that defense, um, and win that game. I just didn't think we were ready for that. And obviously, they proved me wrong, winning there and beat Alabama by double digits. Um, and then I had them losing to Kansas State. I said 10 and 2. And I didn't have a ton of conviction that Kansas State would beat Texas, but I picked 10 and 2. So I had to find the two losses somewhere. And I just felt like, okay, Kansas State haven't beaten us since 2017. Maybe they come in super inspired, super focused, and pull off the upset. And then definitely when Malik Murphy started that game, I was like, oh, I probably spoken into existence. Kansas State is going to win. Um, but Alabama and Kansas State were no match for Texas. And obviously, we went. 12 and one compared to 10 and two, or I guess 11 and one in the regular season compared to 10 and two. So that's where I was wrong. I underestimated this Texas football team. They proved me wrong all year where I was right. Texas went in the big 12 championship. I can't even like super pat my back, you know, for that one, because it's like, 
everybody looked at this Texas roster and said they were going to win the Big 12 championship. You know what I mean? It was just a matter of with Texas finally not getting their own way, right? And everybody who was picking with their head and not their heart, everybody who didn't have some type of hate or disdain for Texas knew that Texas would win their Big 12 championship this year. But they still went out and did it. So that's where I was right. But like I said, I'm not super patting myself on the back for that one because I don't think there was a team this year in the Big 12 that was even close to Texas, right? Even though Oklahoma beat us, I think if we played Oklahoma again, which I wish we would have, we would have beat Oklahoma by 10 plus points. Where I was wrong, I did not have Texas making the playoffs. My preseason picks for the playoffs were Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and USC. And I had USC winning the national championship. So that, that might have been my worst take of the season, period. Um, I definitely did not have Texas in. You know, when they lost to Oklahoma, I knew that they uh, didn't have any more margin for error. And they went out and won the next seven games. But even when we were going into conference championship weekend, the way that things were played out or, you know, could possibly play out, I knew the winner of the Pac-12 championship was getting in. I knew that Georgia, I thought Georgia would beat Alabama. I was wrong about that. Um, and I thought that they would put Florida State in, right, because they were undefeated. So even going into the last week, I didn't think that Texas would make the playoffs, even though obviously they're a playoff team. I think the committee did it right because Texas is a legit national championship contender and they're in the playoffs. But I certainly was wrong. I did not think preseason that this was a playoff football team. Jonathan Brooks, where I was right, being the next 1,000-yard rusher under Sark. Steve Sarkeesian has had a thousand yard rusher every year that he's called plays or been a head coach, right? I guess every year that he's called plays. And it's not just something that just happens to be a thing, right? This is something that Steve Sarkeesian has acknowledged, right? That every year he's had a thousand yard rusher. And a lot of people assume because we lost Bijan and Roshan that Jonathan Brooks, you know, may not be able to crack that a thousand yard plateau or that the running game would take a step back without Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. And in a lot of ways, when he was healthy, our rushing game, was more productive than it was last year, right? Better offensive line, you know, whatever, right? But Jonathan Brooks was really good for this football team and was able to crack the 1,000-yard plateau before he got hurt. And so Steve Sarkeesian's record of having a 1,000-yard rusher every time he's called plays is still intact, but I knew that that would happen preseason. And, you know, obviously prayers up to Jonathan Brooks, but I'm glad he went out there and got his 1,000 yards before he unfortunately tore his ACL. Where I was wrong, I thought Jonte Cook would have more of an impact in the receiving game. Now, I guess 136 yards isn't bad, for a true freshman, um, that was the fifth, maybe sixth receiving option. But I thought he would have way more than eight catches. Like, I thought he would be a legitimate part of this offense this year, not just in garbage time. But, like, I thought that, like, John Tate Cook would be utilized the same way they would utilize the other true freshmen in Derek Williams, Malik Muhammad, and Anthony Hill, and Cedric Baxter, who were staples of this football team week in and week out. And it seems like John Tate Cook really only got opportunity in garbage time. So, Eight catches, I definitely thought he would have more than that. 136 yards isn't bad for a true freshman, but like I said, I thought that Jonte Cook would be a part of the game plan week in and week out, but we do have some very talented receivers in front of him, and obviously next year he'll be one of the more, uh, one of the more productive receivers for this Texas Longhorns football team. Uh, I said Texas would return to the pinnacle of college football, right? I said that this season I didn't think they would win the, you know, go to the playoffs, didn't think that they had a chance to win a national championship, but I said that at the end of the season, everybody would look at the Texas Longhorns and say they are back to being one of the top six to seven programs in college football. And I think they certainly proved that this year going 12 and one and being a legitimate national championship contender with four teams and two games left. Uh, you know, for the Texas Longhorns, potentially, if they're going to win it. So I said Texas would return to the pinnacle of college football. I said that at the end of the year, everybody would look at this Texas football team and say they're back. Right. Maybe not Sam Ellinger back, but they're back. Like, damn, you know what I mean? They got it together. Finally, jokes over. You know, the last decade is over. This is a new era of Texas football. And based on what we saw this year, 
this is a new era of Texas football. I had Jalen Ford winning defensive player of the year in the conference easily. That's where I was wrong. I thought that last year he got snubbed before, you know, for that defensive end uh, at Kansas State. I haven't heard his name all year playing for the Chiefs, but the Chiefs do have a really good defense. Um, I'm salty. <laughs> right? I shouldn't have even said that. Right? He's in the NFL fulfilling his dreams. I'm, I'm over here talking. That's crazy. Um, but I thought Jalen Ford would come back in. Not, I don't even think they would have to give him like a makeup award. I thought that he would just be the best defensive player on the best team in the conference and he would easily get defensive player of the year, whether it was a makeup for last year or not. I did not have Savandre Sweat being the best player on this defense and winning defensive player of the year at all. So I thought Jalen Ford was a lot to win defensive player of the year in the conference. He still had a really good season, but I think they made the right decision going with Savandre Sweat. That's where I was wrong. Now, I said Savandre Sweat and Byron Murphy would both be first team all Big 12. Did not expect them to be two of the best players in the country. Did not expect them to be All-Americans. But I did know that they would be two of the best players at that position in the Big 12. And they certainly were the two best players at that position in the Big 12. I thought our safety play would be a strength for us this year. This is where I was wrong. Uh, Jalen Catalan only played in one of the last seven games. Uh, Jaron Thompson, Michael Taff, Keaton Crawford, and Derek Williams all made plays this year at various times, but all had... Um, you know, a lot of plays that left something to be desired. So, you know, obviously on a 12 and one football team, all of your units are good. But I do think if we had to pick one weakness of this football team, it would be the safeties. And I thought when you replaced Anthony Cook with uh, Jalen Catalan and I thought Jaron Thompson coming back for another year, I thought safeties would be a strength for this team. And it ended up being somewhat of a weakness, even though we went 12 and one. So this team doesn't have a true weakness up until this point. DJ Campbell, maybe the red zone offense. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Yeah. DJ Campbell. I said DJ Campbell would bring a different element to the run game, right? And that's no disrespect to Cole Hudson. I think Cole Hudson is a really good player and he came in at times and, and definitely made plays for us on that offensive line. But there's a reason that DJ Campbell was a top 30 recruit in the country, right? He's a freak athlete, a basketball player at 350 pounds that can simply just move people in the running game. All right. And over the offseason, our interior offensive line looked bad. I thought in the first couple of games, our interior offensive line looked bad. But then over the course of the season, especially when Jake Majors got back, they really started to hum. And I think a big reason for that is the development of DJ Campbell over the course of the season. He still had some untimely penalties. He still had some sets in the passing game where he kind of got worked a little bit. You know, that's going to be expected. But in the run game, he was dominant this year. And I think that that is a big reason why Texas was able to be balanced, even without B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. I picked the spread wrong in half the games. I said that we would lose to Alabama. We beat them. I said that Baylor and Kansas would cover the spread. They didn't. <laughs> I said that uh, BYU would cover the spread. They didn't. I said we would beat Oklahoma. We didn't. And then I said that we would cover the spread against Oklahoma State, and we did. So I think I only picked the spread correct for Texas once this year. And I don't pick it when they play like Rice and Wyoming and games like that. And then I didn't pick it like the last three games because I was so wrong, like in the regular season. But I think out of all the games I picked this year for Texas against the spread, I only got one right, and that was the Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma State. So it was not a banner year for me in terms of gambling, right? <laughs> for sure. My Where I was right, I said Quinn would take a leap, that second-year leap, but would not have a Joe Burrow, Mac Jones-type season, which everybody was saying in the offseason, like Quinn Ewers was going to make that much of a leap. And he was really good this season. He looked like a completely different quarterback than last year. But to say he was going to have a Joe Burrow type year, which might be the greatest year ever in college football, or to say he was having a Mac Jones type year where Mac Jones legitimately could have won the Heisman if it wasn't for uh, Devontae Smith, 4,541 touchdowns in 13 games. I just didn't see that level of production from Quinn. I know he missed two games, but even if he didn't miss those two games, 
he wasn't having a Mac Jones or Joe Burrow type of year. And that's OK, because he's still a really good football player. And he did what he needed for this 2023 Texas football team to get to 12 and one and in the playoffs. But statistically, I said before the season that if you think he's going to have a Joe Burrow or Mac Jones type season, we need to pump the brakes a little bit where I was wrong. I thought Quinn Ewers would win offensive player of the year. I was surprised that preseason they picked Jalen Daniels. I thought Texas would be the best team in the conference. They were. And I thought Quinn Ewers being the quarterback of the best team in the conference, he would win offensive player of the year easily. I didn't even know who Ollie Gordon was before the season. Obviously, Quinn missed two games, but I think even if Quinn plays those two games, I'm not sure he wins that award. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But I said he would win it and he didn't. So I was wrong. Where I was right, I said Sark would establish himself as one of the top coaches in college football. I think we always knew what Sark was capable of, but he just had not reached that 10-win plateau. This year, he reached that 10-win plateau. And I remember last year going into the season, CBS Sports ranked their coaches in college football, and they had Sark at 35th. I think now, unquestionably, we would look at Sark as a top 10 coach in college football. And I said that that would happen before the season started. So those are my takes where I was right and where I was wrong about this Texas football team in the preseason. Feel free to put where you were right and where you were wrong in the comments. And after the break, I'm coming back to let you know where some of your favorite Texas YouTubers were right and were wrong. Today's episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. And with basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball. LeBron James, Travis Kelsey, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Kevin Durant, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I know Trevor Lawrence just went out with an injury, but there's just so many ways to win money on prize picks. And with prize picks, they even offer a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play, even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with any injury insurance policy. So if you're betting on Anthony Davis, make sure you do it on prize picks. Here's <laughs> so go to prizepicks.com. Slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match of up to $100. Prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match of up to $100. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, here we go. Your submissions from your favorite Texas YouTubers, where they were right, where they were wrong. This is Steven from Fanatic Perspective. I was right about us having day one freshman impact. We certainly did. Uh, Malik Muhammad, uh, Derek Williams, Anthony Hill, Cedric Baxter were all staples uh, for this Texas football team, really, for day one. I gassed up Derek Williams all summer, and he proved me correct. Ant Hill, Manny Muhammad, Cedric Baxter, I was right there with the group being big contributors, right? He said he was wrong about the consistency and overall toughness in a good way. He picked 10-2, and two, just like I did. We were both wrong. He had Bama and Houston as losses. 
and he picked Houston as a loss because they would drop a game they had no business dropping. And that was kind of my mindset coming into the season and why I picked Kansas State as a loss or just them going 10 and 2, period, because I said I thought that they would lose to Bama, but I just didn't think this team was ready to go through conference play flawless. And they weren't because they lost to Oklahoma, but that was the only loss on their schedule. And that ended up making them a playoff team. So me and Steven were both wrong about the consistency and overall toughness because anything can happen in Red River. I don't think they lost a game this year that they weren't supposed to lose. They're probably better than Oklahoma, but you know, you take that and say anything can happen in a cotton ball, right? They didn't lose to Kansas state, TCU, Houston, BYU, Oklahoma state, or any team like that. Right. And that shows a sign of growth for the Texas football team. They proved me wrong with how they closed the Bama game and holding on to win, albeit ugly in games they've typically blown in the past to much less talented teams. So it looks like me and Steven were both a little bit asleep on this Texas football team. And thankfully, they proved both of us wrong. I question this is from Texas Homer. I question the run game as far as depth and maybe not having an 1,000 yard rusher. Uh, you know, Texas Homer was certainly wrong on that. That's not something that I looked at coming into the season. I knew that, you know, like I said in the last segment, Jonathan Brooks would rush for 1,000 yards. And I felt like we had a ton of depth at the running back position, right? I mean, I knew how good Jaden Blue was coming into the season, and he was our third string running back coming into the season. So Jaden Blue would start for most teams in the country. Keelan Robinson is our four string running back and look how explosive he is. And Trey Wisner showed me something this year with the opportunities he got. So, I mean, we have five legitimate running backs. I didn't even mention Savion Red. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, we have five to six legitimate running backs that could play really well for the Texas football team. And I thought, you know, coming into the season, they would showcase that. And they certainly did. But I can't blame Texas Homer for thinking that our running game would take a step back without B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. This is from Nino, Nino's Corner Sports, where he was right. This offensive line is better than last year's due to continuity and development. That's something that he said coming into the season that the offensive line would be better. I would say that I was still nervous about the interior of the offensive line based on what I saw in the spring game and the first couple of games against Alabama and uh, Rice. But I thought that they really started to pick that up, especially when we got to conference play. So um, I was nervous about the offensive line, but I think they got better each and every week. He said many thought that losing Jonathan Brooks would be the downfall of this team for the last two regular season games. His injury may have allowed Sark to utilize multiple weapons to make this offense thrive. So a little bit of a silver lining there, Nino is saying in the uh, Jonathan Brooks injury. Obviously, you don't wish injury on anybody. But he's saying, I do think because he was 30 percent of every we, everything we were doing until he got hurt, that that did force Steve Sarkeesian to utilize more of our weapons. And that's something that we've been screaming for the last two years where I was wrong. Jalen Catalan was going to be a definite upgrade from Anthony Cook, whereas you look at it, Anthony Cook had a more productive season last year than Jalen Catalan. And I think we all thought we upgraded at the safety position when we got Jalen Catalan in the transfer portal. But like I said, you know, on yesterday's show, that kind of taught me the lesson that most players right, are in the transfer portal for a reason. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out the way we thought it would with Jalen Catalan. Jalen Catalan only played in seven games total and one out of the last six games. That was on senior night when the game um, was already out of hand against Texas Tech. Michael Taft and Derek Williams have been better players for the Horns this year. No argument there. You can really make the argument or the take that Michael Taft was our best safety overall period this year. And like I said, with Jared Thompson coming back and Jalen Catalan uh, coming in in the transfer portal, if you told me before the season that Michael Taft would be our best and most productive safety, uh, yeah, I can't even say what I would have said to you or what I would have thought, right? So, <laughs> um, but that's that's the case, right? You know what I mean? So that's why you got to go out there and play the games. All right, so this is from Nash. Nash talks Texas. 
where I was right. I expected a playoff team in 2023 led by a defense with depth. He was saying this all year, literally, like before the season, he was saying anything less than 11 and one was a disappointment. And I'm like, bro, how can you say that based on the last 10 plus years of Texas football? But literally in the offseason, Nash was saying anything less than 11 and one was a disappointment. And he was right. Right. Because this team was capable of going 12 and one and going to the playoffs. So I said we should be happy with 10 and two. Nash had higher expectations and standards. And they paid off, right? Because this team did exactly what Nash thought they would. I expected Tamandre Sweat to potentially have his name into the first round if he had a great year and tested well. He certainly has done that. I expected Jonathan Brooks to replace Bijan Roshan in a big way. He certainly did that. Nash has been on the Jonathan Brooks train for over a year. He said that Jonathan Brooks might even be better than Bijan Robinson. And that takes look, you know, that take, at least in terms of what he did this year for the Texas Longhorns, doesn't look too crazy now. And he said, I had Jonte Cook getting 15 targets. I think he only got around 15 targets this year. And he had Worthy over a 20% team target share. So Nash was right about a lot of things. Where he was wrong, my Julio. Julio, he's referring to as Isaiah Nayor, right? Isaiah Nayor really had no impact for the Texas football team this year. I didn't expect him to have a huge impact coming off of an ACL, but I obviously didn't expect him to just be on the sideline rooting for the team, right? So, you know, I was wrong about that one a little bit more, but Nash had an affinity for uh, Julio Jones or Isaiah Nayor, so he was a little bit more wrong than we were. Expected the secondary to be one of the strongest units. Uh Uh-oh. I wrote off Michael Taft mid-Houston game. Uh Uh-oh, right? And then I thought Savion Red would see a decent number of touches, and I thought Texas would shit on OU and go 12 and 0 right I do think Savion Red did get a decent number of touches based on what I was expecting going into the season I thought Texas would beat Oklahoma as well and he thought we would go 12 and 0 all right now Kieran right Care Bear Kieran what I got right I knew the team was going to be so much better in the trenches than the rest of the conference and they could not handle it that's a really good take I did not see that coming in the preseason and that's exactly what happened right I think we had a 20 point lead in 10 of the 13 games we played, right? Like we didn't have a 20 point lead against Alabama at any point. I don't think Iowa state, but I would have to go back and look. We only won that game 26 to 16. And obviously we never had a 20 point lead against uh, Oklahoma, but I think every other game we had a 20 point lead at some point. And that's largely because we were able to overwhelm teams in the trenches, right on both sides of the ball. And so Kieran, rightly rightfully and you know i think that's really good predicted that in the offseason that our trenches would be just too much for other teams to handle i didn't see it that way coming into the season i predicted quinn would take big strides forward and given how bad he was last year certainly took big strides forward i was really impressed with quinn this year i correctly predicted our safety's lack of speed and coverability was going to be the weakness of the defense i was called stupid for this at the beginning of the season so kieran definitely had some preseason takes that were pretty right right and i wouldn't have even thought of What I got wrong, I thought Quinn was going to break passing records because I thought the pass game would be the strength of the offense. We still ended up being a running football team, which is crazy. Me and Fanatic Perspective or Steven wanted Worthy off of punt returns, and he turned out to be the best punt returner in the country, an All-American. So that's a super wrong take. And I also thought Baxter was going to be unquestionably better than Jonathan Brooks, and that certainly was not the case, even though Cedric Baxter had a strong freshman season. So that's where some of your favorite YouTubers were right and wrong about this 2023 Texas football team, a quick word from our sponsors, and I'll tell you what a championship would mean for each of the four teams remaining in college football. All right, today's episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, the official partner 
of the National Football League. All right, all right, all right. So what would a championship mean for the four teams left in the college football playoffs? And we're going to start with Texas because, of course, right, this is locked on Longhorns. I don't think a championship would necessarily mean too much for the program, right? I think most people with a pulse, right, and with a brain have already seen that Texas is back to being one of the top teams in college football and should be at the top for a long while, right? Because as good as Quinn Ewers was for this Texas football team the last couple of years, I think Arch will be able to match that production or be even better, right? So you would expect this Texas football team to play as well as they have this year for a long time. And this is a team that has won five national championships, so I'm not sure if, if the sixth makes us look at this program any differently, right? We're already in the playoffs. We've already proven that this Texas football team is not who they were the last decade. I think a championship would immortalize Steve Sarkeesian. Now, it would immortalize everybody on this team. You know, Charles Wright, our four-string quarterback, will be able to say for the rest of his life he's a national champion. But I think it would do more for Steve Sarkeesian than anybody else. Because in college athletics and college sports, all it takes is one championship for you to be revered damn near forever, right? When we look at it in college football, I know Dabo got two. But even though Clemson is clearly not the same program, he'll forever be good off of those two national championships. You can say what you want about Jimbo Fisher, but he's sitting on 76 million right now to not coach because he won a championship 10 years ago, right? Kirby Smart, when he got his first one, he was certified. Obviously, Nick Saban and whoever else in college football has won a national championship. Mac Brown, right? Like, we'll never say anything about Mac Brown at North Carolina, whether he overachieves or underachieves, because he won a national championship in 2005. Once you get it once in college athletics, you're good to go. Look at it on the basketball side. Rick Pitino has one. Tom Izzo has one. Jim Bateheim had one, right? John Calipari had one, right? There's Texas fans that still treat Chris Beard like the one that got away, and he didn't even win it. He just got to the national championship in 2019, and there's Texas fans still screaming that we miss Chris Beard when we obviously don't. So a championship, or I guess in some cases, a championship appearance in college football will immortalize you as a head coach. And I already think that Steve Sarkeesian has put himself in that top 10 head coach conversation in college football. If he wins a national championship, regardless of what happens for the rest of his career, and obviously you can go outside like Jimbo Fisher, right? But going outside is subjective when you're sitting on 76 million in a national championship ring. Whatever he does for the rest of his career, he will be immortalized if he wins a national championship this year, even if it's the only one he ever gets, because we'll always be able to say Steve Sarkeesian won that national championship in 2023 with the Texas Longhorns. Just like almost 20 years later, we are still talking about Mac Brown. Mac Brown is still good and still certified. He's still an OG because he won a national championship 18 years ago in college athletics when you win a championship or you get to the championship you really don't have to update your resume and that's what texas winning a national championship would mean it would immortalize steve sarkeesian as a head coach in college football washington i think washington is one of the most underrated programs in college football this is their second appearance in the college football playoffs and we know how hard it is to get in when there's only four teams in the bracket and this is a washington football team that has won 20 straight games right going back to last year like they are one of the best programs in college football right now, right? But all year we wanted to prop up Colorado in the Pac-12. We wanted to prop up USC in the Pac-12. Then we wanted to prop up Oregon after Washington beat them when Washington was undefeated and right there. And we still don't give Washington, I think, the respect they deserve as a program based on what they've accomplished over the last seven, eight years. Like I said, this is their second appearance in the college football playoff. 
this is Texas' first appearance, right? And everybody would look at Texas as a far and away better program than Washington. But Washington, like I said, for whatever reason, don't get the respect that they deserve. And they've been one of the best programs in college football for a good amount of time now. And so I think a national championship would would just validate what I already think about Washington and what people in Washington and Washington fans think that it is one of the best programs in college football. But I think they need hardware to solidify that if they win a national championship this year, then I think we'll look at Washington completely different moving forward as one of the premier programs in college football, because productivity wise over the last however many years, they have been one of the top programs in college football and one of the most successful. And like I said, they are coming into the sugar bowl with 20 straight wins. And we don't talk about Washington like a team that's coming into the Sugar Bowl with 20 straight wins. Michigan, I think a championship for them would validate who they think they are and what the rest of the country seems to think Michigan is, right? Because when we think of Michigan, and they certainly are a blue blood program, but we put them on the level of a Ohio State, a Georgia, and Alabama, and that's simply not true. Michigan has one national championship since 1948. I'm going to say that again. Michigan has one national championship since 1948 and we talk about them every year like they're one of the premier programs in college football they're one of the best certainly the last two years they've been but you can make the argument that Michigan is the most underachieving program not just in college football in sports I'm gonna say that again they have not won they've only won one national championship since the 40s right and so for whatever reason we still give Michigan the benefit of the doubt and act like they're one of the you know most you know I don't, I don't even know, but we act like they're one of the top programs in college football. And the last two years they have been, but historically since the forties, they have underachieved, underachieved. And I think where as a national championship would get Washington, the validation they deserve. I think a national championship for Michigan would give them the validation that we've already given them really for no reason. Because like I said, we put them on the level of programs that they have not compared to since the forties, right? Like this Michigan football team, like I said, may be the most underachieving program in sports, but a national championship would validate who they think and who the media seems to think that Michigan is. And for Alabama, obviously Nick Saban has seven national championships. Obviously he's one of the greatest in college football history. Uh, but coming into the season, you know, people said this was a down Alabama team, right? People said that Georgia had taken over the SEC and maybe Brian Kelly at LSU was on his way to jumping over Alabama as well, right? People said that the defense wasn't the same. The offense wasn't the same. The quarterback play wasn't the same. And Nick Saban was losing his fastball. And once again, Nick Saban is two games away from winning a national championship. So another championship really doesn't mean anything for Nick Saban. Another championship really doesn't mean anything for this program. But based on the narrative around the 2023 version of the Alabama Crimson Tide, I think a championship would be one of Nick Saban's best coaching jobs. Because earlier in the season when we lost to Texas, when they lost to Texas, everybody was screaming, this is not the same Alabama team. And now this Alabama team is two games away from a national championship. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hook them. Peace.